Hey everyone, it's Matt Harmon from the Yahoo Fantasy Football Show. Are you sad there's no fantasy football going on right now? Yeah, me too. I've got good news for you though. It is fantasy baseball season right now. Join a public league, join an instant draft, or create a league with your buddies before opening day. It's Yahoo Fantasy Baseball time. Sign up for the 2024 fantasy baseball season at yahoo.com slash fantasy baseball or on the Yahoo Fantasy app. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hello and welcome to Baseball Barbacast, the only baseball podcast in the world that's had Barbie in its name. For almost a year now, I'm Jake Mintz. That's Jordan Schusterman. Everyone's freaking out about this movie. We were first, though. It's true. I, I feel like uh, we've we've heard a lot of different pronunciations of our show, depending on how they would like to emphasize the B. And yeah, this is great. This could be potentially huge for the brand unintentionally. Everyone's showing up to movie theaters dressed in all pink, hoping to hear what we have to say about Jared Kalnick kicking a cooler. And we are going to deliver that on this episode of Baseball Barbie Cast. Love to hear that. Uh, Baseball Oppenheimer Cast is a much darker production, but maybe that's what we need on this show, considering the downtrodden nature of the Kelnick news. And oh, yes, we will get into a little bit of Yank and Freuda. The Bronx Bombers are spiraling down. And we will revel. I don't know if we're going to revel in the in the uh, misery of it, but we'll certainly pick it apart. I have some things. Speaking of misery, to talk about, I was in the White Sox clubhouse, and it uh, made me want to drink heavily. Uh, and then we will do good, bad, and ugly, and try out a new game called Baseball Taboo. But let's begin in the Seattle Mariners dugout, where Jared Kelnick zero water cooler two hundred fifty. Yeah, Jared Kelnick's foot in particular. Uh, This was a tough scene yesterday afternoon. Uh, For those who did not see, on Wednesday evening, Jared Kelnick uh, came to the plate on a very, to face uh, a very well rested and clearly amped up Yohan Duran in the ninth inning, uh, down by a few runs. He Uh, struck out. And again, uh, no one throws harder. Yes. Then Yohan Duran. Correct. And Kalnick battles nine pitch at bat, which I would love to go back and see how many nine pitch at bats there have been against Yohan Duran this season. He's fouling off 104. He's, you know, fouling off crazy curveballs and then ultimately looks at a curveball for strike three on the ninth pitch of the at bat. The Mariners lose. And apparently Jared Kalnick kicked a water cooler and broke some amount of bones in his left foot and he will be out for some time. It doesn't sound like there'll need to be surgery, but he's certainly going to be out for at least a few weeks. And so then on Thursday, when he shows up and is just in a walking boot and it was one of those injuries where it's like, well, that's because it happened in the ninth inning and the game was over. No one actually knew about this when it happened. Everyone's like, uh, so what happened there? And what we saw was Jared Kelnick, uh, you know, Basically, go and give it to everybody straight. And it was really, really, really hard to watch because he was extremely upset about this. Now, we've seen people have embarrassing baseball injuries many times, heard about them, and everybody chooses to handle it a little bit differently. But you wanted to leave the show with this, I think, for a very specific reason. And I, as a Mariners fan, this is hard enough for me to talk about because just the latest, it is certainly a disappointing stretch. But what were your takeaways from kind of seeing Kalmick's reaction to this? Because I, I certainly have a few. I have a lot of thoughts, and I think to properly understand Kelnick's reaction, you have to understand who he is and the path that he has taken so far in his baseball career. For those of you who know this, you can skip ahead. For those of you who don't, Jared Kelnick, right, top pick out of a Wisconsin high school by the Mets, traded to Seattle in the Cano trade, top prospect the whole time, gets up to the big leagues, and sucks for 
parts of two seasons is just bad. Really and bad. Really bad. And this Not is just happened. like he always struggling. Like he's the worst hitter. Yeah. And in some ways it gets accentuated last year by Julio's success. And I know Kelnick will never admit this. Um, but there's no way it's easy to continually struggle at the big league level when the guy who is one of your good friends who you were supposed to tag team the franchise to glory with is one of the most famous baseball players in the league all of a sudden, and you're in Tacoma. That cannot be easy. He comes up at the beginning of this year and figures it out. Like he figures it out for the better part of two months and has been a good player this year. Not as good as maybe we thought he'd be four years ago, but a productive major league baseball player. So that is the Jared Kelnick tale. The other thing I think is important to to talk about here is who Jared Kelnick is as a person and the unique baseball journey that he has been on, like emotion, not emotionally, but like he is not Bryce Harper from a conjured in a lab perspective, from a always was going to be this perspective, but it's pretty close, my friends. Jared Kelnick has been training to be a big leaguer since he was 12 or 13. This has been his goal. This is his life. This is all he ever wants to do. Now, the issue I think that he has had in the beginning of his career is that his skill set and his maturity level have not always matched up with one another. And part of that is because he did not have a normal childhood. He told me when I interviewed him, he left prom early, like a middle school dance. I think it was like a middle school prom or middle school dance early to go watch Bryce Harper's debut. Right. And that's cool. But that is kind of an example of Jared Kelnick's high school life where he maybe wasn't participating in all the normal childhood things that people get to do. And so that has left him somewhat stunted, at least in the beginning of his professional career, from a social perspective. He has made enormous strides in that this year, based upon what we've heard from around the Mariners, but he's still a kid. You talk to him and he comes across a little bit as a child. And and that's not a bad thing. What is he, 23? So he just turned 24 last week. Right. Like that, sure. You could be a child at 24. We were. We did some dumb shit at 24. I have no problem with that. And so that brings us to last night where he kicks the cooler. So the first thing that's funny to me, Jordan, is he rolls up and he's like, I got a broken foot. You can't lie about that, right? Because a broken foot, is there's usually a moment of trauma to your foot when that happens. It's not like a hamstring or a yeah. muscle. Unless you're like Greg Oden. Right. Like in basketball, if you're gigantic, it's possible you just land and your foot's like, I can't do this anymore. But right. in baseball, generally something probably has to happen. You can't sidestep this one. Right. Get it? Wink, foot, <laughs> step. Uh, and so he came clean and he handled it about as well as he could have. And I, I want to get to the response in a second. But I want to talk about Jared Kelnick and the human experience, my friend. I think feeling uncontrollable rage is a very natural human emotion. Mm-hmm. If you have never felt angry, you are not living or alive. And now there are different levels to that, like striking out against the, one of the best closers in the world when you're making more money probably than anybody will, most people will ever see versus like opening your eyes to the horrors of humanity. Like there's a, Scale there, yeah. But I understand Kelnick's frustration. Like, we've all felt that before, right? But it is, it's about how you channel it. And he clearly did not channel it well. But that brings me to, to, to yesterday where he's crying in the dugout answering these questions. When you do something like that, when you let yourself get the better of you, your emotions take over, what are the, what are the things you feel is embarrassment? I think back to, have you ever really lost it, Jordan? Have you ever like had a moment in your life where you really lost it? Definitely not. I feel like not as an adult. I think it has probably happened to me more as a kid for okay. a reason. But yeah, but yeah. So not, I, it's not an experience I'm super familiar with. So it's happened to me once. Um, during COVID, during lockdown, I l- just went berserk on my younger sister. Mm. And it was when I had just gotten elbow surgery and I was like mad. I don't even rem- like I cannot remember what I was so mad about. Right. But it was like that's peak usually lock- the case. Right. Yeah. Like, it was like peak lockdown. Right? Like, who remembers? Right. And I remember like I threw something and it hurt my arm because I couldn't throw because I just gotten Tommy John. And I think back to that moment. And two seconds later, 
all you feel is shame and embarrassment. And even now, as I think back on it, it's three years ago, I feel terrible. You know, like I love my sister. We have a good relationship. But I just feel horrible about it. And to see Kelnick have to reckon with what he did. Now, granted, there was really no victim here besides the cooler and I guess his teammates, right? But to see him reckon with that in public was very raw. And very yeah, and human. again, like as we as you kind of alluded to, like baseball is his identity to a pretty extreme degree as far as baseball players go. And it's interesting to see him have this like we've seen him have these moments. I mean, he had he going he was going like oh for 40 last year. I mean, this comes this strikeout came in a time amidst a 10 game hitting streak. Like he had kind of been heating back up in July. Like he has started to find major league success. But with that has come more expectations again and more responsibility to contribute to a Mariners team that is desperately trying to win every single game. And every single game is the most important game for the rest of the season. And so knowing that he can't contribute to that anymore is obviously crushing because that's him. Like that's all Jared Kelnick wants to do is help a baseball team win baseball games. Like that is very simple. And he has taken that opportunity away from himself. And that is what is so uh, frustrating, disappointing, and, and ultimately heartbreaking because it's like he knows as well as anybody how much this sucks. And, you know, now it'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. How this, <laughs> of course, baseball is a silly thing. Like, they'll go and, you know, win 15 of their next 16 for some godforsaken reason. Kate Marlowe's going to hit 600 or whatever, but it's, it sucks. And I hope he can come back and people say, oh, oh, I hope he can learn from this. This dude's already learned from so much failure. Right, like he's already been to the bottom of this major league experience, and now this is a new, a new kind of challenge. So you know, of course, it's easy to say, "I hope he learns from it." Whatever, like I, I, that's pretty redundant. Like he understands uh, how how problematic this is, but I think in in a weird way, most of the response on Mariners Twitter is like, "I love this dude because this guy clearly well, cares a ton." That's what I was going to ask you. So last year we had a moment in Philadelphia where Alec Baum, the Phillies third baseman, was getting booed, and he said. Uh, hot Mike caught him saying, I hate this place. Mm-hmm. And he owned up to it in the post game. And Phillies fans love him now. Do you feel like the response to Jared Kelnick drop kicking a cooler <laughs> and breaking his foot is somehow good for his approval rating? Um, well, it's not that, but it's obviously how he reacted. And also, like, Kelnick's been it's, – it's interesting because – People really, really want to see him succeed. And the success that he was having earlier this season was like so much. It was everything you could have possibly hoped for considering how low it had gotten with him that like he's already one of the more popular players on the team. And so like weirdly, it's both disappointing, but the way that he immediately handled it, I think (laughs) it's like also (laughs) if you're Mariners fans, Mariners fans have been proverbially, you know, kicking coolers all season long. Like they're pissed also. So it's like, you can understand the frustration. And so as, as annoying as it is, it's like, Oh God, now, you know, they got to watch AJ Pollock more because he lost control. It's, it's, I still think that it's uh, the way that he handled it. Not that he needed to prove how much he cared. It seems like it, it played well with the fans. Well, that's the thing, right, is fans want the players, their favorite team's players, to exhibit how much they care. They want the players to care as much as they do all the time. And this is related to the Yankees, which we'll talk about in a second. And I think about how, you know, a team's losing by four and guys in the dugout are laughing. It's like, yeah, of course they are. Like, that's how you have to survive in the sport to not go nuts, but fans can't always have that perspective. And so when a a player is able to mirror the emotions the fans are having, I find that to be refreshing for people who live and die with the teams they cheer for. Um, And I think that like Kelnick, he's not an idiot. He's immature and he can lose control of his emotions, but he's not dumb. And so Crushing him for this is sort of pointless because he knows, like, he's aware what that he was an idiot, yes, like two days ago for kicking the cooler. Um, and I think I, I think he will learn from this in a really, actually, more positive way than all the failure, because the failure, the failure can spiral you. This, I think, is more of like a real learning moment. So, yeah, well, he had Kellnick, that too, right? I mean, it was two years yeah. of hitting 160. So. Yeah, I hope I hope uh, I hope we see him again this season, whether the Mariners are in contention or not. I do think that um, that the strides he made this year are, are meaningful, and he's he's clearly capable of being a good big leaguer. 
Uh, and this is uh, an unfortunate derailment that he will certainly learn from. It's a tattoo forever, right? It's on the Wikipedia page until he dies or the internet explodes. Jared Kelnick on uh, Wednesday, July 19th, 2023, kicked a cooler, fractured his foot. That'll follow him forever. Now, yep. if he becomes a Hall of Fame level player, it'll be a footnote. But it it's will something be a we'll, That's it'll true. be just a little footnote. Hey, it'll be a note about the foot. Yep. Note about the foot. I didn't even realize I was making that joke. Uh, Jordan, let's move on to the New York Yankees. Mm, let's do a it. baseball team that a lot of people know about. All around the world, you'll see people rocking the Yankees hat, and that's just because they love Oswaldo Cabrera. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Sorry, I, I didn't refer to them by their government name. The last place New York Yankees. <laughs> so, you know, you could say, oh, well, they're still the better record than the first place Twins or, you know, the Angels who just swept them or the Mariners who had all these expectations or the Mets. Oh, they're still way better than the Mets and the Padres and, of course, the Cardinals. But as you said, Jake, these Yankees are indeed in last place after being swept in Anaheim by Anaheim in Anaheim for the first time since 2009, I believe, uh, was the was the year, which is a long time ago. Uh, but hey. Maybe that's exactly what Yankees fans need to hear is going back to 2009, right? I mean, Yankees fans would love to go back to 2009 at this point because a World Series feels so, so, so far away at this stage for this franchise. And we know that their season has been derailed by many, many, many injuries. But at this point, how many years in a row does that have to happen for us to be like, hmm, maybe that's a problem with the roster? I've said this so many times about them and the Mets. Build the ship out of old wood. Can't be surprised when it sinks. Yeah. Uh, Josh Donaldson will no longer be playing for the Yankees, it seems. A lot of discussion about that era <laughs> era coming to a close. But as the Yankees sit here, you know, 50 and 47 on an L4, they are in a very... We did not necessarily include them when we previewed the trade deadline. We said, oh, okay, we're not putting them with the Angels, Mets, and Padres yet where they could maybe sell, but now it's like, okay, has anything changed in the last couple of days? And how do you kind of view their next couple of weeks, particularly this weekend? Well, this weekend is very important because they are hosting the Royals. And the Royals, if it wasn't for the A's, boy, oh boy, would we be just diarrhea I mean, on the Royals. We should be anyway, right? I mean, the, A, yeah. the Royals were not supposed to be good. But they were not supposed to be the worst. That was not part of the plan. And they're giving Oakland a run for their money. So the, yeah. the Royals are coming into town. And if they, if the Yankees lose this series, it is a catastrophe. Mm-hmm. The vibe is already awful. And one of the, the things I saw on like Yankees Twitter people the other day is that it's kind of moved from anger to like total despondentness, despondency. The hands are thrown up in the air. The hope is lost. Like, it's not – no one's fuming. It feels like they're just – like, they have no words. And I get it. Like, that's the thing, man. It, it's easy to criticize and dunk on Yankees fans for being overly dramatic and having high expectations for their team. But let me say, have you watched this lineup? It's tough. Yeah. It sucks. Now, what I'm curious about, especially from your perspective, having been around them a lot this year and last year, is, and maybe this is a better question for next week after you spend some time around them this weekend, like, we just did this last year. Now, the difference was that last year, they gave themselves such a head start in the first half, but July and August were terrible last season. August in particular was an awful, awful, awful watch. And this year, but like last year, they, were, they still had enough players playing well Obviously, most importantly, they had MVP and Judge carrying them. But like, it's amazing how this year there's just so little to cling to. So, so, so little to cling to on this entire team. And for a while, it was still like, okay, the bullpen's really good and Garrett Cole's awesome. Garrett Cole's continued to do his job. But like, man, there is just nothing. Like Anthony Rizzo has been a non-factor for multiple months now. DJ LeMahieu is just downright bad. Glaber is the only thing they have going for him, and he's not nearly good enough um, to actually, you know, carry an offense for any substantial amount of time. And then Stanton has also been a non-factor. So I don't really know. Like, Judge, the the mystery of when he's coming back, you know, remains. But even if he's coming back, like, 
Sure, you could say, oh, well, he carried them last year. There were other good players last year. There are not any other good players right now with this Yankees team. And meanwhile, Gary Sanchez is raking in San Diego and Aaron Hicks is crushing it in Baltimore. And, and that just adds insult to injury. It, and it kind of proves that something is going wrong at the big league level. That the Yankees are not getting the most out of their players in the major leagues. Maybe they're doing a good job of minor league development. That's a different thing. But when you take a look at Baltimore or Tampa, Tampa can just poop out a Luke Rayleigh every year. And if you take a look at Baltimore's roster, all three of their outfielders, Mullins, Hayes, Santander, were on the crappy 2020 Orioles, and those players have gotten better over time. Very rarely does it feel like a player in their late, 20s to early 30s is getting better on the Yankees. Now, some of that is probably developmental choices at the big league level, but some of that is like, who are you going to get? Dylan Lawson, their hitting coach, I mentioned this, he was fired right during, uh, right after the, right before the All Star break. How much of this is Dylan Lawson's fault? So little. What do you, you, you can't put lipstick on a pig, man. It doesn't matter if you're, you know, Jesus Christ hitting coach, what are you going to say to Josh Donaldson at this point to get him to hit the baseball hard? I guess that's the wrong thing. Get him to hit the baseball consistently. Well, so it's interesting too, because I, um, you know, was just on a Padres podcast yesterday and we were discussing the the blame pie for them, right? And the three main, uh, you know, arms of... of <laughs> Like the team, right? The manager, the players, and the front office. And it's this constant question in any level of baseball analysis, where is it like, okay, am I blaming this on the players for underperforming, or am I blaming this on the GM for putting this team together and then them sucking and then we're us being surprised? I'm curious. where, And then obviously with the Yankees in particular, probably more than the Padres, there's a lot more frustration with the hitting coach and Boone and whatever. I always am going to give the smallest amount of the blame pie to the coaching staff. But where do you kind of stand on the... Because I, I feel like this is the most heat Cashman has gotten too in yeah. recent years just for kind of where they're at. And I've been a Cashman defender. I think it's a very difficult job to be Steinbrenner whisperer. And there's a reason he's still there. I mean, you look at the franchise page on Baseball Reference, man. It's so many playoff appearances. <laughs> and yes, they have a competitive advantage. I understand that. But Cashman generally has built rosters good enough to get to the playoffs. Yes, he's done it with a bucket of money, but he's still done it. As we've seen this year in San Diego, New York, it's pretty easy to fail with a bucket of money. That can happen. Yeah. That being said, I think the Yankees front office is behind the eight ball. I think the lack of change there is an issue that they are they are they have a lot of catching up to do. And I think there is some blame that goes to the Yankee mystique. And let me explain what I mean by that. There is an expectation in New York that you have to be good every single season. That is the reality of playing in the Bronx, of running a team in the Bronx, of managing a team in the Bronx. But what that does is it, it makes you uncomfortable giving playing time to young players when they need it. Right. And so then you go out and get a Josh Donaldson instead of having someone play every day. You go out and you extend DJ LeMayhew. Right. Now, on the flip side of that, they didn't go out and spend money on one of the big name shortstops and free agency because they wanted to give the keys to Volpe and Peraza. And I understand that there's layers to it, but it's like they've made the wrong decisions. They have gone out and targeted the wrong veterans at the wrong times and not given enough run to the right guys coming up. And so I just think there's a little bit of rottenness in the whole the whole thing. Jordan Schusterman, the New York Yankees have never finished fifth in the AL East, ever. Ever. The AL East, in its current incarnation, has been a thing since uh, 1994, right? And they've never finished last, uh, five of five. Never. And they have not been under 500 since 1995, the year we were born. I was not yeah, on this planet. Year. I guess I was a month old. Not under 500 time. that year because they didn't 
finish the season, but 90. Oh, true. <laughs> 90, true. Sorry, 90, 91. I, I, 91. Again, not your fault. You were being born in September. So, well, I just saw 79 wins and, and, and made a call. <laughs> So yeah, obviously, so 1992, last time I finished under 500. And also, but this is the other thing we mentioned on all these other teams, like the fact that it's this bad and they're still over 500 now is also a testament to how, what the standard is. Like they still have put together a pitching staff that can put them in, in position to at least win a certain number of games and they could still win 86 games this year. Is that going to be enough? Is that is that how you're going to make you feel good after last year? No, of course not. They should still be I'm not saying fans shouldn't be pissed. Are you asking me if they're going to finish in last place? I uh, no, but it's going to be close. I think okay. the, I, I I love that here we are with the the Red Sox and Yankees, just uh, trying to avoid the bottom. That is a a wonderful baseball reality to live in. I gotta say, it's a nice, it's a very nice change of pace. Mm-hmm. I'll say that. Not mad about uh, it. Not mad about it. Uh, uh, Yank, just quickly we, we need- before we take a break. Yeah. I want to talk about our friend being a dummy. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, this is, this is probably what people thought we might be leading with, but like, I don't have that much to say about it other than it's funny and it's not surprising. Uh, what are we talking about, Jake? Uh, Carlos Rodon, former guest on this here baseball podcast. After uh, getting a little bit rocked over there in, in Anaheim. A little bit rocked? He got rocked. <laughs> he got rocked. He got rocked. Certainly, it... By what they're expecting of him, he certainly got rocked. And I guess he heard something that he didn't like from some fan in beyond the Yankees dugout. And he decided to send him a little smooch from a distance mm. and say, thanks. Thanks for the support. Seems to be the message. Um, this is something that I'm not surprised has happened. Although to see it happen... A, on the road, and B, in what, his third start or fourth start is like, damn, this didn't take very long, huh? (laughs) The simple take here is that if you play well, it doesn't matter. If Carlos was coming off four great starts that had pitched well for the first half of the year, and he did this, people would be like, that's the type of energy we need out of our ace and instead, he's been hurt and generally bad so far. And so he blew a little kissy kiss and it looks bad. Friend of the show, uh, someone I spent a lot of time with at the yard, Brendan Cuddy, who is the athletic writer for uh, the Yankees, quote tweeted the gif of this or the video of this and said, this is not good. Here's my take. This does not matter. All that matters is how he pitches. That's it. It's that simple. This is the guy you paid for. If you watched closely to Carlos Rodon playing over the last couple of years, this should not shock you, okay? He is someone who constantly is yelling and cussing on the mound and making faces. He is emotive in a way that when he's good is invigorating and when he's bad is childish. Mm-hmm. And that's that. Yeah, and we talked about how he was going to have kind of a tough assignment coming in here at this stage of the season and having to play savior every fifth day. And it certainly has not been that so far. Um, Is he the reason they're in the place that they are? No, as we mentioned, they can't hit it all, but he's certainly not helped matters so far. And hopefully for his sake and the team's sake, he can at least start turning in some quality starts in the near future. I'm excited to go to the yard today and get the lowdown on this entire situation and then share none of it on the air. Let's take a quick break, Jordan. And when we get back, we will do the good, the bad and the Orioles. This is former PGA Tour winner Smiley Kaufman, host of The Smiley Show, a Sirius XM podcast. You want to know what I love about golf? I get to talk to some really cool people. I get to walk the fairways of the best courses in the world with the best players in the world. And I get to share it with you every single week. Listen to The Smiley Show right now on Stitcher, Pandora, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's Smiley, S-M-Y-L-I-E. And we are back here on Baseball Barbacast, Jake Mintz, Jordan Schusterman. A little bit of tales from the yard. Jake and Jordan, here's why our podcast is different from all those other baseball podcasts. There are no other baseball podcasts hosted by people who are in 
locker rooms all the time, who are at the field regularly and enjoy themselves. Maybe one or two others. There are people who have a good time. There are people who go to the yard. But no one does both as well as we do. Simple as. Sorry for tooting. Sorry for tooting our own horn, but you know you gotta live toot toot. Gotta live confidently. Um, I was in the White Sox clubhouse two days ago in City Field. Mm. I have never felt a worse vibe. Mm. Um, Now, granted, they had lost eleven to ten the night before, um, (laughs) which is not a great hangover. But boy, oh boy, Jordan! I mean, it was. It made the Mets clubhouse feel like the 1986 Mets clubhouse. Brutal. And you've been in sad clubhouses before. But the clubhouse of a team that sucks, like the A's, is actually kind of fun. Because they're not idiots. They know that they're not good. Yeah, and there's no expectations. There was nothing. Like, there's a difference between sad clubhouse and, like, kind of defeated clubhouse if that makes sense like yes the like a post game after a loss is different than just like the midst of a season that has is so far gone that every day is like damn like we blew it like we are all disappointing a lot of people all the time whereas oakland they knew on opening day like this is going to be a struggle and we're just going to do our best to enjoy ourselves even though we're going to lose 100 games i was in the i saw the white Sox in the beginning of may in Cincinnati when they were, you know, 11 and 22 and it was already like this. So I can only imagine, you know, a couple months later when we're 51 and 47, what we're feeling like. Because this time of year, this is the real death. Because when they trade the pieces away, it is not just losing a bunch of baseball games. It mm-hmm. is admitting that the season was a failure. And yes. in the context of the White Sox, it is admitting that the entire window of contention was a failure. When mm. they trade away Lucas and probably Lance Lynn and one or two other guys, yeah, they could come back and sign some people and compete next year and whatever, but you're admitting that it did not work. And that is very tough to swallow. I will say, though, I actually feel like there's some level of liberation once you do those, make those trades. I agree, but we're not there yet. We're not there yet. Exactly. And that's what I'm saying. So like this, I agree with you, like this month leading up to it, where it's sort of inevitable, but we haven't exactly made those decisions yet. And you don't know exactly how many of the guys are going to be gone. You know, I think about the Cubs, right? I think about how the Cubs have kind of treated the deadlines recently, where you're like, will they, won't they? And by the way, the Cubs are also heading towards a very similar deadline once again with some of their guys, which which we should probably talk about next week. But I agree with you. It is it is, it is the, the most difficult time because there's a, a version where they, they trade a bunch of these guys and then, you know, maybe they they call up some some younger dudes who maybe you don't know, but it's like then the expectations lifted off. We've accepted the fit. The season is a failure. And now we're just trying to get through the rest of the season, see what we have and try again next year. But right now, it's just you're marching towards, you know, like the the final conclusion of like, all right, who's really going to be here and who's not? And we'll we'll have that answer probably in the next week or so. I felt like I needed to put on a good vibes KN95 to wander through <laughs> the fog of despair inside the White Sox clubhouse. All right, let's change the mood, though. Mm. Let's get into the good, the bad and the ugla. One thing good, one thing bad, one thing related to Dan Ugla, a.k.a. funky, weird, and different. My friend, Jordan Schusterman, why don't you start us off? What's Jake, good? My, my good this week is Chaz McCormick. Oh, my Chaz God. Chaz McCormick has a 9.03 OPS. Now, he has not played in every single game. He's only played in 57 games. But this is makes me think of a lot of things. First of all, it's oh like the obvious things okay of course the Astros figured out but like I felt like I had a pretty good sense of what Chaz McCormick was which is clearly a useful decent player who bats eighth on a good team and plays some good defense in the outfield we've seen that in the postseason right that's great that's a gigantic organizational victory for someone who was uh, a 21st round pick out of a division two school right that is Great. He's already delivered so much more than you ever could have possibly hoped for from that player. And now I'm like, holy shit, like, is this guy, you know, an all-star level hitter? I mean, probably not, but he's got 12 homers now in 57 games. He had 14 in each of the last two seasons and over 100. 
And this is could not come at a better time because the Jeremy Pena's and Jose Abreu's and even Bregman, like who have not taken the steps forward, this has done a huge, it's gone a really long way to kind of keeping this Astros offense humming in a really impressive way. So maybe this is a fluke and maybe this is just going to keep him, he's going to stay hot. And then once the guys who we expected to be good come back to being good or get healthy, whatever, he kind of falls back to being average. But if he is anything close to this, that is a gigantic development because I thought I knew Chaz McCormick was just kind of a normal, decent player and not a 148 OPS plus guy. Life comes at you fast, sometimes in a good way. My good is the first place. Baltimore Orioles. The first place. Baltimore Orioles. Mm. Oh, my God. Feels good, man. Wow, it feels really good, Jordan. Mm-hmm. That's, that's it. all you got? It's great. It's good. I mean, like, I got people texting me. I got my parents watching all the games saying, hey, they win, go O's. Like, it's good, man. First place. That's it. That's all I got. First better. Place. I mean, last week was, I mean, last year was was cool, but first place wasn't exactly a discussion it was more of just like oh my god we're not we're not going to lose 110 games right i mean that, that alone was a huge uh, victory yeah no the orioles are really good and we should talk about the trade that they made because they acquired shintaro fujinami from the oakland a's i swear i literally said they should trade for him on the podcast but i don't believe i mean it must have been before we were on the air or something but i, <laughs> I was very very glad that they uh took my uh, advice that i threw out into the ether and let's talk about Shintaro Fujinami because this is a player that we have sort of disagreed on over the course of the season. And it was very funny because I understand no one's watching the A's for everybody to tweet the same kind of stat at the same time after the trade, which is like, his ERA is really high, but his ERA has been really good for the last two months. It's like, yes, yes, I know. Because I will say as someone who basically actively tunes in whenever this guy's pitching because he fascinates me so much. It is a wild, wild, wild ride. I would say there is a very, very small number of pitchers who have this kind of pure arm talent as Mr. Fujinami, as you will now all see in high leverage situations for better or for worse. But like, it's obviously 20 or 30 grade command. And that came back to hurt him a ton early in the season where he was either walking everybody and then throwing a fastball down the middle that was getting crushed, or it was just such a mess that, you know, he was pulled before any any sort of outs could be recorded. But before I get back to Fujinami in, individual, like how are you feeling about this as, as an Orioles fan? Because this, we, we, we said, right, they sh- probably needed to add another bullpen guy behind Cano and Batista, or at least the head of Cano and Batista. So wh- what are we thinking about him maybe being that that dude? Uh, I have no idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like it could be a disaster. It could be great. But it's worth the chance to find out. Oh, yeah. And... What I like about this move is it is Mike Elias saying, let's do a thing that we're not sure about. So many of the Orioles moves have been not necessarily conservative, but rooted, predictable, like Adam Frazier, right? You know what Adam Frazier is. You know what you're getting. Even Aaron Hicks, I mean, you knew that was going to work pretty quickly once they fixed the swing and he doesn't swing at balls and that was love that. Fujinami, I mean, what the heck? I guess the thought here is who is similar to Fujinami physically? Felix Bautista. Uh, sort of, right? Big ass dude. <laughs> Wait, no one's you physically mean similar. Stuff wise? Yeah, I'm just saying, like, big dude, no idea where it's going. Hmm. Maybe we can sprinkle a little pixie dust on this, right? Yeah. And if it doesn't work, you spend a lower level prospect on it. So I think it's a nice move. I have no issue with it. But the important thing is the Orioles are in first place. I'm not sure if you heard that. Uh, Gunnar yeah. Henderson mm-hmm. is incredible. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I I would like to – the Gunnar Henderson-Corbin Carroll conversation will go on for many years, and I'm excited for that. Jordan, what's bad, though? Uh, this one hurts my soul. Uh, it's Byron Buxton. Oh, no. Byron Buxton, who, when I was, you know, writing about Edouard Julien and seeing him, you know, kick the Mariners' ass over the weekend and seeing how he's kind of emerged as a great – as really an impactful Twins hitter, which they've been desperately looking for. We know that Carlos Correa has underwhelmed, and we know that Joey Gallo has been hot and cold. But Byron Buxton, who has not played a game in center field this season because he was going to DH to stay healthy, well, he stayed healthy, 
and he has a 685 OPS. And more notably, he is one for his last 35 with 18 strikeouts. I believe he is like 0 for 25 or something. Um, I, like, it, this sucks because, like, it felt like Byron Buxton had done enough in recent years to convince me that, like, if he's on the field, he's going to be one of the best players in the league. And now I have no idea what to what to make of him. Um, I And it's also because it's like before we'd be like, oh, well, maybe he's still hurt. And in this case, I know he had offseason surgery, so maybe that's still hampering him. But like there have been flashes earlier this season where it's like, oh, yeah, like he could do this. I don't know, man. I, I'm just I'm really fascinated what the what the long term plan is for him. Maybe this is just the ultimate funk and he can heat up again. But like this is not a sustainable DH <laughs> level of DH production. That's for sure. Just put him in the outfield and maybe that'll wake somebody I mean, up. Maybe. I, I have no idea. So super weird. Makes me sad and it is bad. There you go. My bad is Ellie De La Cruz related. How could oh. that be, Jake? No, Ellie it's Dilla- okay. Yeah, is it is his toot plan? Ellie De La Toot plan? No, I don't give a crap about his toot plan. His toot plan, okay. him getting thrown out on the bases is just part of the deal. Like that's going to yeah. happen. He's going to have yeah, some weird was- ones so that he can give us the good ones. But here is what I want to say. I have seen a style of tweet the last couple of days from a number of different fan bases hmm. where uh, along the lines of if Ellie De La Cruz did this, people would be freaking out about it. Or, wow, MLB tweeting about Ellie De La Cruz too much gives some love to the Brewers. Mm-hmm. That's not the point. Everybody. <laughs> Ellie De right. La Cruz is not as good or valuable as the best player on your favorite team. Probably. Not yet. He is not, not yet. <laughs> he is not better than Gunnar Henderson. He is not better than Julio, probably. Mm-hmm. He's a fun player to watch who is solid for a child learning how to play baseball at the big league level, right? Mm-hmm. But what he is that no one else in the world can say is he's breathlessly entertaining. And highlights and clips and tweets and whatever are about that. The Brewers are boring to watch. They're good. That's a good team. And maybe I should be giving them more credit. But they cannot compare to Ellie De La Cruz from an (laughs) entertainment perspective. You know who's going to be laughing longer? The Brewers when they're playing in October and Ellie De La Cruz is on vacation. But as far as we're talking about what it means for the sport, I was in the airport recently and there was a kid in an Ellie De La Cruz jersey in New York. Okay, that is cool. That's fine. We don't have to be jealous here. The national media giving Ellie De La Cruz a lot of attention is because he's fun as shit. Simple as. Yeah, and if you can't see that, like that's a you problem. That's fine. It's it's not. <laughs> I know. Like again, like you said, it's about the highlights. It's about what's going to get attention, and the things that he's doing is going to get attention. Like if you. Sure, you can be like, okay, yeah, but um, uh, so-and-so's, you know, WRC Plus is higher than his, so why aren't you posting about his very normal RBI double? It's like, because it was a very normal RBI double. That's why. Correct. (laughs) It it wasn't some shit we've never seen some player trying to do. So I totally agree with you. And and it's a little unfortunate. I mean, whatever. We literally just did this with O'Neal Cruz last year. And Ellie's been more productive than O'Neal was at the time. So... um, These are weird things to get upset about. I agree with you that that reaction is indeed bad. We move to the Ugla, Jake, and I want to talk talk about this on Wednesday, but I think it fits wonderfully into Ugla, and that is the ejection of Blue Jays pitching coach Pete Walker. Mm. Um, So what happens here is Alec Manoa is going through it, having a tough time on the mound. And Pete Walker goes out for an ejection, or for an ejection, haha. Pete Walker he goes does. out for a mound visit. He didn't think he was going out for ejection. And he is talking to Mr. Manoa. He's saying, well, we don't know what he's saying, right? But we see he's covering his mouth, as <laughs> pitching coaches love to do. And because very standard thing you see is that uh, as, you know, the visit pro- progresses, eventually the umpire, the home plate umpire, will walk to the mound and kind of break it up and say, all right, guys, that's enough, right? All right, guys, go back to your positions. We need to resume the baseball game. And that is, of course, even more pressing now with the pitch clock and pace of play, whatever. So umpires are really making sure that the mound visits don't take forever. Great. I support that. That's not, it's not fun to watch the everyone you know huddle on the mound for a minute and a half. So I agree with that. Whatever. 
Here comes Malachi Moore, the umpire. He comes up. And what you see is that P. Walker is not even looking at him, but P. Walker is saying something still with his mouth covered to Manoa. And Moore comes up. And it seems that Malachi Moore appears to hear something and throws P. Walker out of the game. This is one of the more unique ejections I've ever seen. I have a lot of thoughts about how this happened, but what was your uh, initial uh, take on seeing this clip and what it made you think of? Um, I mean, I think Pete Walker wanted to get ejected. And well, then, I, okay, so how, how did he get ejected? So what, 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 explain. Um, maybe he didn't want to get ejected, but he was also going out there to make a point. Like, I think he's, he felt more, I'm not blaming him. Like, I think the, the, the biggest issue here is that the umpire goes out to the mound mm-hmm. way too quickly and lingers mm-hmm. and listens to the conversation that they're having in the mound. And that is a huge no-no. That okay, is but this is what I wanted to talk about because I feel like we see this all the time. Like, I always wonder what it's like. Like, I, I, I don't think it's that. You say it's a huge no-no and maybe that's true. But like, I feel like it's a pretty standard thing to see the umpire it, come and stand next to be like, all right, guys, move it along. And it but doesn't he does even it seem right like away. Really he does it right away. Like if you watch the clip, Walker goes out there and Moore is like at the mound like four seconds later. Sure. I, I yeah, I mean, I, I the exact timing of it, I'm not 100% certain of, but like he wasn't lingering there. Like he walked up and basically immediately tossed him. So not, but but again, what's interesting is it doesn't seem like it was because he was taking too long. It seems like it was because of what P. Walker said, but did you see what Alec Manoa's quote was about yeah. what P. Walker, because they asked Manoa, I guess they didn't, I don't know if we actually heard from P. Walker or from Alec Moore, but Manoa said, uh, this is from Keegan Matheson, the Blue Jays report from MLB.com. Alec Manoa on Pete Walker after a pause to pick the right words. Quote, I don't think Pete said, I don't think anything Pete said would have gotten you kicked out of a 10-year-old travel ballpark. <laughs> Incredible. So he's saying like, whatever, he, he couldn't have possibly done anything. I am I fascinated though by it that. Was just, yeah. just like the zone was terrible. Right. But like, is he saying, he wasn't talking to him. That's the other part. It's not like Pete Walker turned around and said something to the umpire. That's why I'm fascinated by this. I agree, but I think he knew he was there. So you think he's he knows he's there and he's saying like this ump, you know, has been fucking you over all day, and then like that's that's how you get tossed. Yeah. Correct. Yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm intrigued by the umpire uh, mound visit interaction because I think it is one that I've often thought about. Like if if it's a situation like what if it's not as like offensive where it's like the pitcher's like or the ump's like or sorry, the pitching coach like, hey, like this ump is giving you inside. So you need to be pitching there because he's giving you that spot. And if I'm the umpire and I'm hearing that, I might be like, screw you. I'm not giving you that shit anymore. Like, I didn't even realize I was doing that. So so I'm, I'm, I'm curious, like, how the, those, those interactions... You could apply this, too, to just, like, catcher umpire interactions also. But this one was a little bit different. Anyway, that's my ugla. What's your ugla? Okay, so last night during the Rays-Orioles game, during the broadcast, the Rays kicked it to the sideline reporter, and she was in the stands... And there she was, or maybe she wasn't in the stands, but she was doing like a little hit mm-hmm. on Trisha a Whitaker. fan. She's great. Trisha Whitaker. Thank you. Mm-hmm. She is great. Uh, does a little thing on a fan at the game who is 106 years old. Gentleman is a uh, World War II veteran, which by the way, World War II vets, Jordan. Thanks for getting us out of there. Oh, big time. Like. Big time. That big time war, like, we're selfish as Jews, but like, man, Huge. Shouts out to all the World War II vets at the trot. Well, and again, like there's there's not that many World War II veterans left, right? Like this is this is this is a literal dying breed, obviously, right? So they they roll my guy up to the trot for a little O's raise action on a Thursday evening, and they drop this tidbit late in the segment that this gentleman whose name I think his last name was Monfort. Yeah, uh, hopefully not related. Hopefully not related to the Rockies owner. This gentleman had never been to a baseball game before in his yeah. entire life. Or a Major League Baseball game. Major yeah. League Baseball game. 106 years old. And he had never been to a Major League Baseball game. And for some reason, he was like, Thursday sounds great. <laughs> right. Like, well, the crazier part, too, is well, one of my favorite parts of the clip says, all right, so he did this, and he's there's some. He like was the first person to tell his infantry about Pearl Harbor and all these crazy fun facts. And then he says, or and then Trisha says, 
He moved to Tampa in 1964. This dude's been in Tampa <laughs> like twice as long longer. as the Rays. Yeah, wait, dog, triple the time that the Rays have, have been there, right? And 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 this is this is what it took to get him out. I I agree with you. It is it is fascinating that this was really the game he he really decided. Like, yeah, I think I think it's. It's time to go. It's time to go check out this. Uh, I mean, Tyler Glass now is hot right now, so I, I can understand that. Here's my favorite part about this. He's never been to a baseball game before, and his first game was at the Trop. Mm-hmm. And so here <laughs> he is. He's going to be like, oh, yes, a baseball game in a weirdly lit dome. Mm-hmm. That's ball, baby. Uh, born in 1916. Um, that is 1916, just for, for reference, is the World Series was the Red Sox over the Brooklyn Robins with Babe Ruth on the mound. And he had zero hits in uh, five at-bats, but he did uh, throw 14 quality innings, only allowing one earned run. So this Babe homie, Ruth on the mound. Yeah. This homie is older than Ted Williams. Mm. <laughs> That's, wait, seriously? Oh man, that's great. Anyway, I hope he enjoyed uh I hope he enjoyed the the Orioles victory. Maybe now he you know, you know that they say, "Oh, you know, I went to a game and I saw this team and I was hooked." And now that was it. Bill's going to say, "I'm a lifelong Orioles fan." You know, that's it. Like I'm I'm in. I'm <laughs> I'm in for the Orioles. Now even though he's been in Tampa forever, now he actually, you know, if the Orioles go to the World Series, like we'll have to bring him out. Because like that's all he knows is is the Orioles winning. He's like, whoa, Felix Bautista, this is crazy. Um, all right, Jordan, let's wrap it up with something new. <laughs> all right, let's do it. We're gonna try out a little game piece here. Uh, here's how this is gonna go. All right, if you've ever played a game called Taboo, then you know the vibe. If you've ever been to any brewery, this game is probably available in the corner of the brewery on a shelf somewhere, you will see people playing it. The gist is the real game. I'm trying to get someone to guess a word. And in doing so, I cannot use picked out words in that process. And the way we're going to do this is for baseball. Here's the deal. That's good. I'm glad we're at least keeping this baseball. It's not football. I have a list of 10 baseball players that was sent to me by our super producer, Brady Gardner. Jordan has not seen this list. I have not even seen this list. I'm going to try to get Jordan to guess these 10 players as quick as possible without saying any MLB team name, any position, any countries, or any divisions or leagues. I also think probably no city names as well. Uh, Or what do you think no major league city names. Yes. Yeah, like descriptors in that in that sense. All okay. right. Well, we'll see how this goes. I'm I'm very very curious how this is going to to play out. I do. Uh, this will be testing a lot of different things here. So I'm 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 excited to give it a try. We have not done a trial run, Jordan. I'm starting the clock in three, two. What was the one. clock? Oh, wait, is what's well? What's the clock? What are we counting? I just want to see how quick I can we can get oh, okay, through 10. Okay, okay. We're, we're kind of like, this is more like timing ourselves so that the next time we do this, we see how good. Okay, I got it. I got it. Okay, three, two, one. All right, uh, first one. Ooh, okay. Wow. He has been inexplicably outstanding this year. He is an offensive player who was just like a big, hulking, horrible slugger who had an OPS around like 50 and this year it's been like 132 for a good team. Uh, uh big. He has an Irish last name. Oh, oh, Ryan O'Hearn. Yep. Um <laughs> uh okay, was in a blockbuster trade that happened right before the 2020 season involving a East Coast and a West Coast team. Okay. And he uh, went from west to east, and he's just been like a good everyday player this year. Francisco Mejia. No, further north. Uh, well, boy, no, I no idea. Oh, uh, he was. Uh, I believe he was drafted at the University of Houston. Okay, 
undersized you, for his position. Nope. <laughs> I was going to say Trace Barrera, but I think that's wrong. Can I say another player's name? Uh, sure. <laughs> I don't know. He, he was in the Mookie Betts deal. Oh, Connor Wong. Yeah. That's, that's oh. too much of a hint. That's a good one. Yeah. Though. Okay. Uh, I don't. Uh, this one I can't do. Matt Walner. <laughs> I can't do Matt Walner. Sorry. Uh, has a oh, tattoo. You can't do Matt Walner. Damn, you don't even know ball, dude. Just give yeah, I don't some. know ball. Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. Uh, this next guy has a tattoo on his leg of the Florida um, Complex League. Of oh, the GCL. Mickey Boniak. Yeah. Mickey Boniak. This guy played at Cal. <clears throat> And Andrew Vaughn. was an all-star. Was an all-star. Ooh, was an all-star. Uh, Marcus R- Semien. R- yeah. Uh, Marcus Semien. Ooh, uh, big dumper. <laughs> Mr. Cal Raleigh. Uh, ooh, okay. Pitched for Team Mexico. Oh, I can't say country. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> okay. I'll try it a different way. Okay. Um, Taiwan Walker. Yes. Um, okay this guy is from an abnormal or a slightly bizarre baseball country or no he's not but oh he's from a common baseball country but his first name is spelled in a way that makes you think he's from a slightly more bizarre baseball country okay let me that's a bad descriptor oh my god who is the i can't say position shit who is the greatest defensive outfielder of the last 30 years? Okay, so this is somebody from Curacao, and, or it's not somebody from Curacao. Yeah, it, not someone from Curacao, but his first name is Curacao. But his first name is Curacao. I, I, I don't know. Uh, he's a rookie. Um, is it Chadwick Trump? No, he's from Aruba. Um, uh, he's a rookie. Okay. Uh Man, I have no idea. I mean, I'm Andrew Monasterio. Oh A-N- my god! Okay, D R U W. Okay, two more. Yeah, a uh, twin. This guy's a twin. He is a twin. Tyler Rogers. No, Taylor Rogers. Yes. <laughs> okay. Um, last one. Um, hmm. This dude Damn, is from Andrew a- Monasterio. That's a, oh, that's a great name. Uh, this guy is from an aforementioned country that we were talking about. You, you said this country. Okay. This island. This island, you said. Okay. He is from, Cur- he is from Curacao. No, he's from the other one. No, he's from Aruba. Yeah. And his name is Andrew Bogarts. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. Four, four minutes. That was brutal. Ooh. That was real. Matt Walner. I mean, what Matt Walner was tough, Matt Walner, dude. I probably would have, I don't even How know. How would you have done like, that? There's a lot of them, a lot of guys like him on his team already, and he has not been one that has uh, become uh, the most uh, productive. <laughs> he is on a team that <laughs> needs. About Matt Walner. He is on a team that needs good hitters, and yet he is not hitting. Um, um, I would give he has us not been one yet. I would give us a five out of ten. Uh, th- those were some tough ones. Like, I, I, how would you have described Connor Wong other than in the Mookie Betts? Yeah, yeah, no. The, no, it was, it was a good one. And if you can't say position, that one is 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 super tough. University of Houston. Yeah, no, that's that's a that's a pretty solid. We, we have had, like, given Connor Wong a shocking amount of discussion on this podcast. So, And then Ryan know. O'Hearn, you nailed that. I mean, yeah, I feel slugger good. <laughs> Irish name. I like my Taiwan Walker win because it was like, oh, see, you might not think he pitches for Team Mexico, but boom, in your face. So, uh, <laughs> there you go. All right, Jordan. That's it. We did a podcast. Again. Uh, thank you all for listening to this Friday edition of Baseball Barbie Cash. Go check out the Barbie movie. Just kidding. We don't care if you watch that or not. Uh, you can email us at baseballbarbacast at gmail.com. That's B-A-R-B-Cast at gmail.com. If you want to reach us there, maybe we'll hit some emails next week. Uh, Quickly looking ahead to the weekend, Jake. Any uh, series that you are uh, especially looking forward to besides Yankees and Royals? Just Yankees Royals. Just Yankees Royals. Uh, We got uh, Blue Jays Mariners. That's certainly a big one. D-backs Reds. We'll see if I make it down to Cincinnati for any of those games. 
I will say uh, the Padres are in- entering an interesting stretch here because they've got the Tigers and Pirates coming up. So if they are going to make a move ahead of the deadline in, in the positive direction, now would be the time to make that happen. Same uh, thing with the Angels who have mm-hmm. Pittsburgh and then Detroit, I think. Yes. Uh, Dodgers Rangers, also a very, very nice little uh, series there. All right. I think that's going to do it. Thank you all for listening. Have a wonderful weekend, and we will talk to you all very soon. Bye-bye. Serious XM Podcasts.